right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a low right now. You don't got time that. Alright, let's go. Break it. Break it, let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's going on? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. It's a beautiful day outside. And uh, it's a beautiful day here in the studio as well with more KU basketball talk coming up all day today on the show here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports is going to join the show coming up at 3.40. In the 4 o'clock hour, we'll get to a little bit of Big 12 talk. There was a big game last night. Not featuring Kansas, but a big game last night. Also going to get to a little bit of a game with a special guest. And Kevin Flaherty will join the show as well coming up at 4.40. And in the 5 o'clock hour, we'll get a chance to hear from both Hunter Dickinson and Dewan Harris. They met with the media after the KU win on Saturday. We'll get to that audio and also get to some KU basketball heroes and villains coming up in the 5 o'clock hour as well. Off the top here, wanted to get some more thoughts out uh, off of KU's win over Oklahoma on Saturday. 67-57, to Kansas defeats Oklahoma. And kind of wanted to go through and look at each player here through that game and Bill Self uh, on a Hawk Talk last night, which you could have heard right here on KLWN, had some interesting things to say about a couple different players as well that I kind of wanted to touch on here. So off the top, RCST, of course, as is as always brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. And the first player that I want to get to here in regards to this game against Oklahoma for Kansas is Kevin McCuller. And that is because of a variety of reasons. Number one, it's his first game back after missing a couple games with a knee injury. He ends up playing 30, 35 minutes in the game. Uh, wasn't the most efficient game from him. He struggled a bit from the floor, but did hit a clutch three in the second half that uh, helped that put Kansas ahead and ultimately helped them win the game as well. And just two of eight from three, but overall, Bill Self mentioned it after postgame that he felt that Kevin McCullers' defense was invaluable and helped Kansas get the win. He said that without Kevin, K probably doesn't win the game. Which I think uh, I'm initially I I wasn't a hundred percent sure, but I I think I'm on board with that thought process now. Uh, just because of it's really more of about, and I'll, I'll say this, and I don't mean it to sound maybe as harsh as it does. It's more about a, an an addition by subtraction in the sense of with Kevin out there, at least that that just basically means you you can play El Marco and Timberlake significantly less. Which at this stage, again. To call it significant, to call it addition by subtraction seems a bit harsh, but especially on the defensive end, I think it it's probably rings a little bit true. But then beyond that, Bill Self on Hawk Talk last night, you know, we we've, we've been having this this conversation quite a bit about the idea of what to do with Kevin if he's not one hundred percent. Do you try to rest him to get him to one hundred percent? Feels like he's the guy you need down the stretch and 
you know, we mentioned how the, with the situation with KU, it's, you know, hey, you got the best starting five in the country, basically, really. And, but if one of those guys is even not, even if one of those guys is even at 80% or 70%, suddenly it doesn't feel as potent, right? Especially if you're making a push for the NCAA tournament. So you want to have, if you can get your starting five to all five of them, you know, 95% plus, then you're probably going to have a good chance in the NCAA tournament. I think that's that's kind of how I feel right now. Well, Bill Self goes on Hawk Talk last night and said that that Kevin re-injured his knee a little bit against Oklahoma. Or I think the exact terminology he used was that he tweaked it a little bit uh, against Oklahoma. And I actually went back and, and and watched some of the game, watched some of the highlights to see if I could find maybe when that happened or what exactly happened. And I don't know if this is specifically when it happened, but there was one spot in the game that I found where I realized, where I recognized, okay, Kevin was not 100% or he was gimpy on that play. It happened in the first half. It was an Oklahoma steal, and they sprinted down the floor, and they kicked it out for a three-point shot, and it was uh, Milos Uzan who shot the three, and Kevin McCuller came comes sprinting down with about 830, eight and a half minutes remaining in the first half, he comes sprinting down to try to contest the three, and he, it's kind of like one of those run-by contests, and as he runs by, and he kind of runs, you can clearly see, whether from jumping or whatever it was, he he, he was clearly a little bit gimpy after that after that specific play. Now, overall, it didn't seem to affect his game too much. I mean, obviously, he still ends up playing 35 minutes, but I, I do have some increased concerns about that. You know, Michael Swain came on the show yesterday and talked about how, you know, hey, listen, with with injury like this, if it's, a, you know, a bone bruise, knee injury, all it takes is banging knees with a guy one time when diving for a loose ball. That could really set you back. Uh, so I think there is some legitimate concern there. But Bill Self then went on to say that he felt that Kevin McCuller was going to continue to be dealing with this injury for the rest of the season, uh, which is not exactly what you want to hear. And this kind of reopens the conversation of, okay, so if it's going to be something you're dealing with the rest of the season, is it a situation where you can't really hurt it anymore if you keep playing? Or is it a situation where if you play multiple games in multiple days, is that going to sideline you afterwards? I.e., for example, I immediately jump back to KU's quick turnaround when you look at their schedule from the uh, game on Saturday against Houston to the game on Monday against Kansas State. You think about that. Kevin McCuller is able to, you know, he's able to, so he sits out against, he sits out against Oklahoma State before that Houston game. Then in the Houston game, McCuller plays 37 minutes, 7-8 from the floor, 17 points, 7 rebounds. And then in the K-State game, He's not quite as efficient, and of course, it doesn't help that, that game goes to overtime. And in the K-State game, he goes 6 of 18, ended up with 15 points, 6 rebounds. Again, not quite as efficient in the game. Had to play a significant amount of minutes, played 43 minutes because of the overtime. And what happened? That sidelined him then for the next two games, the next week, between Baylor and Texas Tech. The point being here is that if that's the case and if if this is a situation where if you're McCuller and you really, really push really hard on it and play you know multiple games in a few days, you're not able to go beyond that, 
Well, guess what? In the NCAA tournament, you're probably you know you're gonna have to play either Thursday, Saturday, or Friday, Sunday, and then you're gonna have to do it again. So if it's a situation where you can go all out for you know those two games in four days or whatever, but then the that that sidelines you. That's that's going to be a problem. That's going to be an issue. So I, I don't know. I, I have more questions about this now. Uh, that really is because because again, Kevin at sixty seventy percent, even sixty seven percent, Kevin sixty to seventy percent, Kevin may be possibly better than what you get from a combination of Timberlake, Jackson, and McDowell. But it's going to significantly hinder your chances, I think, of making a run in the NCAA tournament. You can say that about any player, right? You can say that about, you know, if McCuller was 100%, but it was K.J. Adams who was at 70%, or Dewan Harris who was at 70%, or Furphy. You know, you can say that about, it's really fill in the blank, I think, at this stage. I, I've always felt that Kevin McCuller is maybe the most important, though, in terms of, you know, kind of being the driving force, you know, in terms, especially in terms of being a guy that can go create his own shot and make a play with the ball in his hands. But it's a tough conversation to have. It's a tough situation to be in. And I don't necessarily envy KU's coaching staff because I'm sure it's tricky to navigate. And one aspect of this that I haven't really touched on with regards to McCuller is from McCuller's perspective, if this is an injury that's going to negatively impact him down the stretch, you know, this is a guy who obviously wants to play in the NBA, who dreams of playing in the NBA. And if this is something that that's going to hurt him, where if he keeps trying to play through it, you know, from a personal standpoint, Kevin McCuller may be in a situation where he says, hey, listen, I, I want to make sure this thing gets to 100%. I, and I don't, know, I don't know how that factors in, right? Because I'm sure, you know, if you're Bill Self, you're saying, hey, man, if you can't really hurt this thing anymore and it's just sort of a pain tolerance thing and you can play through it, you need to play through it, right, for the name on the front of the jersey, for Kansas. But again, if you're McCullough and you're saying, hey, man, listen, I'm thinking about the NBA. I'm thinking about getting drafted. If I if I play through this injury and even if it maybe doesn't necessarily make it any worse, but if it delays my ability to get it back to 100%, you know, past the season or whatever – and then I'm, I'm not able to do everything that I want to do when it comes to, like, the combine and, and all that stuff, and it affects my NBA draft stock. Hey, I don't know, man. I don't know. So there's some there's definitely some moving parts involved here. And I did think it was interesting, both those comments from Bill Self on Hawk Talk last night about Kevin re- re-aggravating it or re-injuring it, basically. He did, again, he, he didn't use that strong a terminology. I think he said tweak, basically. And then him also saying, "Hey, this is gonna something. This is gonna be something that Kevin's gonna have to deal with for the rest of the season." Because again, it goes back to, okay, well, does that mean you can go all out for a game and then you need, you know, a week off, or you know, you go out, you go all out for two games in four days and you need a week off, or whatever? Because again, that 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 ain't gonna work in the NCAA tournament. And it also brings into question, and I know this is kind of looking ahead a little bit, but I think it's probably worth noting. That also brings into question the Big 12 tournament, right? You know, I I, I remember I remember we were having these conversations last year actually about KU, and there's, I'm sure there's been conversations had previously where, from KU's perspective, it may be better to 
not necessarily win the Big 12 tournament and maybe lose early and get some extra rest. You know, if you feel like you're locked into a two seed in the NCAA tournament, no matter what you do in the Big 12 tournament, maybe it's not that bad if you lose early, right? But also, obviously, you know Bill Self, he doesn't want to do that. But but it is it is something in this case, right, where it's like, okay, well, what if you want to try to win the Big 12 tournament, but that's going to mean that you're going to have to play, you know, two or three games consecutively, and you try to play Kevin McCullough through all that, and then all of a sudden he can't go for the NCAA tournament. That's a bridge that is a scary prospect to come across because, again, you can probably, I mean, I guess you can get through the first, you can get through the first weekend, I guess, or get through the first game at least. Hopefully, if you're playing a 15 seed or 14 seed or 16 seed, you could probably get through that game without Kevin. But you really need him for every single game after that, you know. So it's definitely something to continue to monitor pretty closely. I think it's probably the biggest storyline right now for Kansas is is his health status going forward and what it means. And, you know, for now, this sort of week off really comes at the perfect time for Kansas. It gives it gives them a chance to probably reevaluate internally the situation with Kevin and, and you know, hopefully he can continue to play at a high level and, you know, because they're going to need him down the stretch certainly. But it should be uh, – should be rather interesting to see how this thing unfolds. Beyond Kevin McCuller, Hunter Dickinson was another guy that came back and, and performed well against Oklahoma after one of his worst games of his career against Texas Tech. 20, of six, 20 and 16 in the game, 9 of 16 from the floor for Dickinson in 36 minutes. So, again, he played a lot of minutes as well uh, in the game. And, you know, he missed some shots early also. So, I think he's still... Still trying to maybe, I, don't know, re, I guess recalibrate maybe is the right turn. Still trying to figure it out. Still trying to figure it out. And he's able to bounce back from that Texas Tech game and perform well against Oklahoma. And he even mentioned himself post-game, which we'll, we'll get to that audio later on in the show with what he said. You know, Dickinson mentioned post-game that he's been battling, battling through injuries. Full stop. Injuries plural. Not injury singular. You know, there was the knee injury that he dealt with where, you know, it was uh, Gary Bedore who asked him, which knee did you hurt? And Hunter said, uh, I don't know. You know, so there was that, right, from earlier in the season. But I think it's pretty clear that he was, he's been dealing with maybe some other, you know, injuries or ailments. And I think you mentioned after the Texas Tech game, you know, listen, at this time of year, late February, everybody's dealing with something. Everybody's dealing with some kind of injury, maybe even multiple. And that might be the case for Hunter. But he did say that this is, after the game against Oklahoma, this is the best he's felt in two months. That's obviously a very big positive sign. Obviously, uh, uh, good news for him to say that, certainly, as you prepare for this final push down the stretch here if you're Kansas. So hopefully he can get back to near 100%. And again, I mean, at this time of year, like I said, you can't really get, you can't really get everybody 100%. But if you're Kansas, you want to get at least... At least your your starting five, you know, to ninety, ninety five, one hundred percent. If you're if you're KU, that's what you want. Uh, so nice to see Hunter Dickinson bounce back uh, from the perimeter. He did go just zero of one from three. I, I don't know. I'm I'm curious. Uh, you know, if I was a fly on the wall, that'd be something I'd be curious about with Bill Self in practice with, with Hunter Dickinson. Is what's the message there with Dickinson's perimeter shooting? Is he saying? Is he saying? Hey. 
you know, you got the green light to take a, a three here or there, or the plays drawn up for that, or is it more of a, hey man, get down low, get in the paint and go score there first. You know, I I, I get the sense that's probably the way the way Bill Self is treating it, but but even Bill Self himself said. Dickinson missed some some shots that even he still thinks he could probably make against Oklahoma. So there's definitely room for more improvement there from Dickinson. But it was just it was just nice to see him bounce back after the Texas Tech game. You know, after the Texas Tech game, if you went and look at the video of, of the of post game with with Dickinson, I thought he looked a little bit. I thought he, I thought he looked shell shocked. Really, I thought he looked you know pretty beat down, pretty pretty exhausted. And he seemed much more rejuvenated and in a better place uh, after Oklahoma. And obviously, winning helps with that as well. So, uh, Dewan Harris also in the game against Oklahoma. Another guy that something to keep an eye on with injury. And he's obviously tough as nails, and he's going to play through. But he was limping around at times in the Oklahoma game. And touched on it yesterday. But you know, just going back to to Bill Self's post game comments about Dewan and saying how. Dewan needs to stop listening to everybody else, including himself, and just go out and play his game. That you know that that shows a lot of trust. It shows a lot of trust, and I think we'll see what happens down the stretch. But Dewan, as a shooter, you know he ends up going one of four against Oklahoma, started zero of three, but he needs to keep taking those shots. He finished four of twelve from the floor, and kind of coinciding with him and KJ Adams, the short roll was very effective, especially because. Oklahoma at one point just kind of really gave up on, or seemingly gave up on trying to defend Dewan Harris going to the basket. And the result was Dewan Harris got some easy layups a couple times in the game. That's something I'm keeping an eye on to see, A, if there's any change in defense, if other teams have noticed that, notice how to defend that. Because, you know, KJ Adams has done a good job. We talked about that, kind of like that, that push shot from just inside the free throw line that he has on the short roll. He can hit that enough to where teams have to respect it, but Dewan continues to be effective on the other side of that. And with KJ Adams, you know, it's so interesting. He talked about this previously. You know, a lot of his counting stats have been pretty similar to what they have been last year, and he's actually playing more minutes this year. And there have been times where he's felt like he can become a little bit invisible on the offensive end, especially. In fact, Against Oklahoma, he had zero points in the first half. He scored all, all nine of his points in the second half. Ends up going three of six from the floor. Also just three of six from the line. But, uh, you know, going three of six from the line is fine when literally everybody else on the team went either 50% or lower. DeWan mate went two of two, but three of six for KJ, two of four for Hunter, two of four for Furphy, 0 for two from Kevin. So, yeah, don't even get me started on that again on the free throws. But yeah, I don't know. It's interesting with with KJ because, like I said, it, there are times where it feels like he can kind of disappear a little bit. But he ends up scoring all nine points in the game against Oklahoma in the second half. And then Johnny Furphy, uh, some big news actually just today for Johnny Furphy in the uh, in the Athletics' latest NBA mock draft. They had Furphy as number thirteen on their draft board as a lottery pick at number thirteen. Coincidentally, Grady Dick also went number 13 last year. And Grady Dick was around the team over the All-Star break. I think he was at a practice. Bill Self said he was at a practice. 
came to the game in Norman as well. And uh, Evan Miyakawa's site has uh, Furphy as the 19th highest rated freshman in the country. Preseason, I think he was in the 60s. So, you know, it doesn't it doesn't take a genius to recognize that Furphy's been really good for KU since he's been in the starting lineup, but the numbers really back that up as well. And I, I don't know. You know, we may have to get more into this conversation with Furphy possibly leaving for the NBA. I, I get the sense that it probably won't happen as maybe tantalizing as that is to make that jump, but I don't know, man. In this in this day and age, and I know there's some there's some stuff with NIL where because Furphy's an international player, it's a little bit tricky. And I remember Oscar Shibway went Kentucky, played in the Dominican Republic. Zach Eady actually of uh, Purdue played a game in Canada, I think, for this for similar reasons. KU's got a game in, in Mexico coming up next year on the schedule with Houston, so maybe that you know you you can use that to help get Furphy you know NIL money or whatever. But I don't know. It's an interesting, uh, interesting thought there with Furphy as high as he is on NBA mock drafts. We'll see if that continues, if he continues to play well. Nice to, have, nice to see his three-point shooting stroke back uh, in the game against Oklahoma as well. All right, we'll take a time out here on Rock Talk Sports Talk. Matt Tate is going to join the show in just under 15 minutes here from R1S1 Sports. In the 4 o'clock hour, Kevin Flaherty will join the show at 4.40. Also get to KU, more KU basketball talk in the 5 o'clock hour uh, as well here on the show. We'll take a time out listening to Rock Chuck Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chuck Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. And right now we are joined by Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports here on the show. Matt, thanks so much for your time as always. And, uh, you know, I want to start with this. Bill Self last week had made a comment and was speaking pretty openly about the idea of KU having sort of a, I guess for lack of a better term like that, aha moment this season where things click. And he kind of said that it hadn't really happened yet. You know, based on how the second half unfolded for Kansas and what they were able to do and, and come back and win on the road for just the second time in conference play, do you think we could look back at this game, you know, as the season goes on as maybe being sort of that moment for Kansas? Um, I don't. I, I mean, I get what you're saying for sure, but I, I don't think that was it. I think it was a big win. I think it was important. I actually asked the question about that because, um, you know, maybe as much as anybody in that room, I've sat in there year after year after year and heard him talk about, hey, this is the moment. We just came together as a team. Sometimes it was after a big win. Sometimes it was after adversity. Sometimes it was even after a loss where, you know, the loss. Uh, I, I mean, I look back at that Kentucky loss where they got whipped at home I don't know that they knew it exactly in the moment on the day they lost, but they found out pretty quickly after that that um, that was going to be a turning point for their team, and and, um, they needed to respond appropriately. And and that team obviously did do that and went on to to win the title. So, um, you know, I I don't know if if, – I don't know if the win at OU was was quite big enough. I think it was – an important win. I think they should feel great about getting it, and I think they should feel great about how they got it. Um, but I, I, I don't know that it was anything in terms of you know sort of forcing them to dig a little deeper, or find something that might not have been obviously there, or or overcoming something to come together. I mean, all they did to get that win, and it was important, and it was much needed, and a little bit overdue. But all they did was play the way they can play. Um, there was nothing special or, or out of the ordinary about that. So I, I, I don't know that that's it. I mean, you know, if they don't have one that's, that's more profound than that, 
six weeks from now, then maybe, yeah, maybe we will look back at this and say, well, that was as close to it as it got. But I don't think in terms of, you know, all the quote-unquote moments that I've seen from this program and, and the ones that Self has identified over the years in, in the time that I've been covering them anyway, um, I, I, I don't think that that is in the same category as, as the ones that we've seen in the past. So um, that doesn't make it insignificant. That doesn't make it anything other than, you know, a really important win for this season. But I, I still think that that moment could come. I think it's uh, – I wrote a little bit about it today um, because in that same presser I, I asked him, and I'm sure you guys played the audio last week, but but um, I asked him, you know, is there a timeline on that kind of thing? And, uh you know, he pointed to UConn last year and said, you know, they didn't really put it together entirely until the tournament arrived. So there was no timeline for them. And then they figured out what kind of team they were and steamrolled everybody. Um, and he even went back to the 83 NC State team as, as a team that, you know, had that moment very, very, very late in the season. And so I, I think that his point is there is no timeline and, and he believes it's still coming and could still be ahead. And, you know, that, that's great news for Kansas. So I kind of took that as, as a little bit of a reason to write about, well, what could make it happen? What could bring it? And it, it, it's something that people are going to roll their eyes about. And, and we've talked about this all season long, but for my money, it's, it's still within the realm of possibility that El Marco Jackson could be a, a bit of a catalyst toward that moment. Um, I, I would argue that you, you've got a team right now with five starters and um, a handful of bench guys that, that very clearly know their role. Parker Brown knows his role. The five starters know their roles. Um, even Nick Timberlake and Jamari McNow- McDowell, um, to, 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 for the most part, know their roles, right? And uh, I, I think El Marco's role is one that's, that's obviously changed a lot, up and down, up and down, up and down over the year. Um, but it would be really interesting to see if he could find that consistency still that he's been looking for and they've been desperate for him to find. Um, because if he can, you know, let's say he could be a double digits, a, a game kind of minutes guy off the bench. You know, that, that, that alone could be the catalyst toward them finding their moment because that would shape their team in the most complete way and, and really add a lot to what they can put on the floor. So is anybody holding their breath for that? Should you be holding your breath for that? I don't think so. I, I mean, the smart money would be on El Marco probably just doesn't figure it out in time this year, but there is still time. And so maybe he has time. And, and if he can get to that point, boy, um, I think something along those lines, maybe he hits a game winner. Maybe he's got to play um, big minutes because of foul trouble. Maybe something like that happens in the next few few games where you look at that and, and it slaps you in the face as, okay, that, that was it right there. That's obviously this team's moment. And now they're going to move forward with, you know, not only the confidence of, of the best starting five in the country, but a little bit of confidence behind those guys, too. So is it coming? We'll find out. But but I think it could be, and, and obviously Self still thinks there's time for it to get here, too. So um, my best guess is that that might be the, one of the reasons it, it could still come is, is if El Marco can find a way to turn the corner. That, that point on El Marco is interesting. You know, at this stage in the season, what do you think figuring it out, quote unquote, looks like for him? Is it like you said? Is it maybe just a moment where he makes a big shot, or is it you know 
turning up on defense and maybe getting to the basket a little bit more. I mean, what do you think figuring it out really as a tangible idea looks like for him at this stage of the season? I think it's confidence and comfort. I, I think that's it. I, I don't think it has anything to do with stats. I think it has to be how he looks out there, how he feels out there, how he projects that to not only his teammates, but um, to the other team and to the crowd. And, um, you know, I talked with his AAU coach, Terrell Myers. I talked with his mother, um, wonderful lady, uh, about what they're looking for and, you know, what they will kind of be watching. They obviously know him better than any of us. And, and so what, what are they going to be watching as they um, try to see if, if he's still got time and if he's still able to, to, to find that, that rhythm and that role that he needs to have for this team to be good and for him to have an impact on it. And, um, you know, they both pointed to that, those two things, confidence and comfort. And there's a lot more from them in the story. It's, it's, uh, it's interesting to get their thoughts. I was really glad to, to talk with them about it. Um, I actually talked to them a while ago about it and had been waiting to write the story because I just kind of figured that, you know, there's going to be time where this is going to be relevant. And then he never really clicked. It never really happened for him. And so I had to, I had to use my journalistic skills and turn it into some way to use those thoughts and quotes in a, in a little bit of a different analysis. And it worked out fine. I thought, um, I thought it turned out great. So worth reading if you've got the time and the interest uh, at r1s1sports.com. But um, they were great because, you know, even more so than Bill Self, far more than his teammates and, and certainly more than any of us, um, those two, his mom and his coach, you know they they don't they know the kid they know what they're talking about when they talk about what they're expecting to see looking to see the tells that that he has that that can kind of show yeah he's either locked in or oh he doesn't look right or whatever it is you know they they've seen it good bad and otherwise over and over and over throughout the years so um i, I think that I think without giving too much away, you know, I, I think that's it. I think it, it, it's not numbers. It, it, it's certainly a big shot, like you mentioned, Nick. Could could create comfort, could create confidence. So so there's there's definitely a possibility that that one of those things could lead um, to something like that. But at the same time, um, gosh, you know, he, he's he's uh, even when he's out there with with three or four of the starters, he's, he's very clearly not the first or second option, right? So um, I don't know that we should be looking for it as a, a big play necessarily as much as it is the consistency um, and, and, you know, and, and Bill Self's been saying it all year, defending, just guard your man. If he, if he can defend and, and help them on the defensive end of the floor, then the rest is just gravy uh, because they don't really need him. For offense, they, I mean, will they take some? Sure, but they don't really need it. They need him when he's out there to be a defender and a guy that doesn't just give up a, a red carpet to the, to the to the glass. So, um, yeah, it's it's you know it's a lot to ask, but he's had a lot of time in the system already, and and maybe there's still time for him to figure it out. Well, beyond that, you think about the biggest storyline from the game against Oklahoma. Certainly, Kevin McCuller returns the starting lineup for for KU and. Maybe it wasn't his most efficient shooting night. I don't know that really anybody expected him to just come out and, and shoot the lights out right away. But uh, Bill Self mentioned on Hawk Talk last night that this this knee injury that he's been dealing with could be something he deals with for the rest of the season. I, I guess, uh, how concerned are you about that? Maybe this some, being something that KU is going to have to continue to deal with throughout the rest of the season where 
there might be situations where Kevin may not be able to go for certain games. I guess what, what's your concern level at this point about that? I, I think it's I think it's something people should be concerned about, just because of the nature of the injury. I mean, um, you know, they played him what thirty seven minutes the other day. Uh, thirty five. Uh, yeah. Thirty five. Okay, so yeah, and and probably needed him to play every one of those minutes, and uh, that was off of sitting out two games and a little bit of rust and and all of those things. So I, I think it should be a concern because. I think if he's going to play, he's going to play, right? Like, I don't think they're going to find a situation where they're like, well, hey, let's just sort of use him for a while. Let's play him 18 to 23 minutes a game. You know, no, I mean, if he's good enough to go and start, they're probably going to play him the full load. And and then it will be really interesting to see how that holds up, right? Like, can he handle um, that sort of wear and tear? This obviously is a great week for him because he gets the full week of rest between – um, the Saturday win at Oklahoma and, and this Saturday at home against Texas. So there's a lot to like there, but that's not going to be the case after this weekend. There's going to be more games in there and twice a week and all that stuff. So um, I, I think, yeah, I mean, obviously self said it, um, so I'm not saying anything that he hasn't already said, but it's definitely going to be something that, that they have to continue to deal with the rest of the season and will be an issue. Um but, you know, it seems, too, like it's one of those things where it, 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 the whole thing comes down to just how much pain tolerance Kevin McCullough himself can have. And, and you know, he's a gamer, he's competitive, he's tough, he, uh, he wants to be out there, all those things. So you, you would, I would say you would know at this point, if he's not out there, whether it's during a game for any prolonged period of time or has to miss another game, I, I, I think you'd probably have to assume that it's, that it's a probably – pretty painful situation right now but i'd imagine he's going to be out there man i mean um you know he'll be smart enough to take care of himself they'll be smart enough to help him take care of him and uh and and i think that you know at this point it's just you hope that it doesn't get hit in a way where oh man that he just can't go and and that's always a, a risk that's always a possibility with with any kind of injury that's it's sort of lingering like that, you know. You you if you roll an ankle, you can always go re-roll it, and there's nothing worse than that because you're you're already compromised, and then you you do it again, and it hurts a little more, and it takes a little more time to recover, and sets you back, and all that. So, I, I think that, you know, I think it's definitely a, a factor. I think it's definitely a concern, and I think it's something they should be uh definitely worried about. But there's very little they can do about it, um, other than try to take care of him the best they can, and 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 hope that he's able to manage it. When you look at Hunter Dickinson and having that difficult game last week against Texas Tech, arguably one of the worst games of his career, actually, going back to Michigan, 2 of 12. He comes back and sort of a little slow against Oklahoma, but finishes with, with 20 and 16. And he's mentioned that he had been dealing with some stuff, and but this is maybe the best he's felt in two months. I guess uh, what, what was kind of your takeaways from his play and, and, and if he can maybe help take some of the load away from Kevin McCuller if he's unable to go fully right throughout a whole game? Yeah, I think he wants to. I mean, you go back to that loss at K-State. Um, Hunter talked about that in, in that game, right, that, that I got to do more for my team, I think was his quote. Um, so you know he wants to. You know he wants to, to take that on his shoulders. Um, it's so much harder to do as a big man than it is a wing or a guard. You know, I mean, those guys can have the ball in their hands when they're initiating offense. Um, they can create their own shot pretty much anywhere on the floor. A big guy, you know, it has to rely for the most part on others getting him the ball and 
and, uh, you know, things like that. So uh, it's great. It's great that he said that. It's great that that's his mentality. But at the same time, um, it's much, much harder for him to just take over a game and, and, and do it that way. But I, I thought, I thought the game at OU was, was, you know, um, first of all, I'll say this. I, I think Hunter Dickinson has been better this year than I expected he would be. Um, I thought when they got him that it was a great match. I thought it was a good fit. I thought he was going to put up really good numbers in the, in, in self system. And he has, he obviously has done that. Um, what I saw last summer in some practices and, and pickup situations. And then, uh, what I saw in Puerto Rico as well was, was kind of unimpressive to be honest with you. Um, I just, it, I didn't see it. And so I, kind of lowered my expectations for what he could be and, and how he would perform, and he's exceeded them in a big, big way. He's been phenomenal. Uh, and I think that OU game is exactly kind of what I thought he was going to be even after I took all that information in. I thought, you know, it might not look the prettiest. It might not be the most dominant. It might not jump off the screen at you or, or off the court at you and make you think, wow, this is the best player in America or anything like that. But at the end of the day, just because of opportunity and effort and things like that, he's going to have numbers that you go, damn, he had a big game. And 20 and 16 is that, that kind of game, right? I mean, that, I, I didn't think he dominated that game, but he, he's just out there, man, and he, and he just continues to, to fight and scratch, and, and, and he's tough, and he wants to win. You know, there's some criticism about his defense and all those things, and I get all that, but, you know, it's hard to find the perfect player. It's, it's really, it's really hard to find a guy who's, who's great on offense and great on defense. And he's great on both every time he goes out on the floor. I mean, that's hard to find in the NBA. Um, and these are college kids. So, um, I, I think that it's possible that Hunter Dickinson could take a little more of a, a kind of the burden on his shoulders the rest of the way, but I don't think he needs to, to necessarily try to, uh, force that or seek that out or anything like that. I think if he if he can play like he did at OU, whether it's 20 and 16 or, you know, 14 and 10 or whatever it is, I mean, um, the point is those numbers in some manner are going to come if he continues to play the way he's been playing. And, and uh, you know, I, I still think he's got room to, to improve because if he can knock down that outside shot with more consistency again, like he was earlier in the season, then – those numbers even go higher. So, yeah, I think that, that he's in a good spot. Um, but, you know, they're all battled. They're all banged up. They're all worn out. They're all tired. And we know specifically about what McCullough's been dealing with, but those guys are all dealing with something. That starting five is, is, is all trying to manage the way they finish this season right now. And so he's going to have to do that as well. He is Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports here joining us on the show. Matt, thanks so much as always for your time. But you got anything on R1S1 Sports? You mentioned the old Marco Jackson story. Anything else you want to people to go check out over there right now? I'm trying to think what we've got planned. There's a there's a really cool uh, KU men's golf team got started uh, with their spring schedule this week. I think yesterday, and they finish. They're out in California, and they finish tomorrow. And um, so we've got. Um, uh, a really cool feature by a familiar name, as a matter of fact, a guy, a fellow by the name of Tom Keegan, um, has wow. done a, a 
freelance feature for us on one of KU's golfers who uh, won a tournament in the fall. He's a transfer, Cecil Belisle, I think is how you say his name. Um, he won a tournament in the fall, and he was actually in like sixth place yesterday. I haven't seen how he's done today yet, but um, really good player, uh, playing really well this season for Kansas. And uh, so we've got Tom mixing in some fun features for us from time to time, and you know, if anybody remembers Tom, which I'm sure a lot of people do, they remember that Tom loved golf. So it seemed like a, a natural pairing to, to assign him a, a KU golf story to, to break him out of the, the gates with R1S1. So uh, it turned out great. That'll be up either tomorrow or Thursday. Um, totally worth your time. Wonderful story. Tom did a great job. And uh, I'm excited to have him involved with us. It's uh, it, it's very fun. It, it's, uh, it's like getting the band back together a little bit. Um, so pretty cool there. And, and then if anybody, if you guys haven't checked it out, um, we've been doing a, a season-long diary with KU freshman Samaya Nichols on her first season with the Jayhawks. And, and she's been as good as advertised, maybe better. Um, so we've had probably 10 or so entries, kind of a weekly look at, at some aspect of her season and uh, in her words, and, and that's been a lot of fun. So we'll have another entry of that later this week, too. And Samaya's amazing. She's an incredible player, but really fun personality, and she's been great to work with on that deal because uh, it's great to put it in her words and, and let you get a little feel for who she is beyond just her numbers. So those, those two things and, and plenty more, I'm sure. Obviously a huge week for the women at Baylor tomorrow night and then home against K-State. If they could get either one of those, they may lock up their tournament spot. If they get both, then they're definitely locked. So huge, huge week for them. And then, of course, the men uh, back home looking to maybe make a little streak out of it on Saturday. So, yeah, as the end of the week fires up and gets a little more intense, there'll be a lot more up there. But but um, all that stuff's going to be there in the next couple of days, too. It's, uh, it's, it's a really good time of year because there's a lot happening right now. So thanks for asking. Go check it out, r1s1sports.com. And uh, I think we still have or maybe brought back our $12 for a full year special. So um, if anyone's been on the fence about it and wants to subscribe and get all the content that's there, 12 bucks will get you a full year. And, and uh, I might be biased, but I think it's worth it. So check it out. <laughs> there you go. Thanks so much, Matt. As always, once again, com. He is Matt Tate. Matt, appreciate your time. Enjoy the rest of your week, man. All right, Nick. Thanks, man. You do the same. And, and we talked about it off the air. But uh, if you get that mobile outdoor studio idea together, uh, pencil me in as a yep. as a perpetual guest. Hey, Pat, patent pending. Beautiful day. Patent pending right now. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, man. Take care. Yep. Uh, that was Matt Tate of R1S1 Sports here joining us on the show. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to build a studio and roll it out. It's going to be a rollout that we're going to roll out and uh, to be in the sun on beautiful days like today so we can be outside here in the studio. But one hour down here, two to go on the show. Coming up at the 4 o'clock hour, Kevin Flaherty is going to join the show. We'll get into some Big 12 basketball talk coming up next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back to Rock Shock Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. Kevin Flaherty is going to join the show coming up in a little less than 20 minutes to talk more K basketball. I might touch on a little K football with Kevin Flaherty as well coming up on the show. But as I teased heading into this segment on the other on the other side, uh, we have a very special guest and a special game here that we're going to play. And it's a familiar game that we're going to play. The format's changed a little bit, but uh, I'm joined by uh, intern Tyler 
here in studio. Tyler, uh, welcome to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. How you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me. I'm usually up on the uh, Kiss Studio, but a little, little yep. bit of change of pace today. I'm going to call you Intern Tyler. Hope that's IT. Okay. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, intern Tyler is here, and uh, yeah, so he, you can normally hear him on our, one of our sister stations, but you know, he's he's a big sports guy. You were a baseball player. Uh, your uncle played for the Packers. That's right? true as well. So, uh, so you definitely got to some sports shops here, but the game we're going to play here is a game that Derek and I used to play on the show. And it's a little game called, uh, I guess we never really specifically called the game. I guess you'd call it like this or that. Uh, it originated with, uh, we did it with uh, the Kentucky Derby last year. It was Kentucky Derby Racehorse or any rock band. We've done some different iterations of it. Derek kept track of my scores and how I was doing, and we kind of turned it into a fun game. And and uh, I was never really that good. I won national test. So the way we did it was, we it was a 12, we did 12-game season, and each, each individual answer was a game, basically, the way we formatted it. And I would go eight and five a lot, so I got fired a couple times uh, from my big SEC powerhouse job. Then I was at a lowly FCS job, got fired from that, I think. Uh, and then I don't remember what how I did it the, in the last game we played on Friday, but but uh, or last Friday, but uh, yeah. So that's kind of the format of the game, this or that. And for today's edition with Tyler, so you are you're from California, correct? You are a Los Angeles Angels fan, and so I don't know anything about the Los Angeles Angels farm system or anything like that. So, the game here today is Los Angeles Angels Spring Training Player or Dune 2 Actor. The movie Dune 2 coming out uh, soon. So, that's the game here. It's going to be uh, Los Angeles Angels Spring Training Player or Dune 2 Actor for me here. Uh, so, uh, Tyler, if you want to uh, take it away, give me hit me with the first with the first one here. Now, so, we talked off air. You want to do this differently. Normally, we would just go through and give the answers after each one. But you have decided that you want to change things up here. You're going to withhold all the answers till the end? Correct. I'm, I'm going to record all your answers. Record all your answers. See, that's terrible because I just have – it's it's terrible because I'm just not going to know how I'm doing, and it's just – it's brutal, you know. We'll I, see. Okay, well, the yeah. first two – I'll say that the first two are softball questions. You, you would think so, Absolute but I'm not very questions. smart, so okay. we'll see how it goes. We'll start off. Uh, okay, first off, what's up, what's up first here? First name, Austin Butler. Austin Butler. I'm assuming that's the Los Angeles Angels spring training player. Okay. Okay. Anyone at see home again? That? That, see again? I don't know if I'm right or wrong already. This is tough. Okay. This is tough. So you're gonna reveal all the answers to me at the end. I will. Okay. Second up, we got Carson Fulmer. I think that's also a Los Angeles Angels spring training player. I think. Okay. Maybe. Okay. I have no idea. I don't know actors either. That's the other. Here's problem. the thing. That was the very easy category. So we'll <laughs> we'll see how the rest. See, of you're this not goes. making me feel very confident right now. Um, next up, we have Davis Daniel. Davis Daniel? So, I mean, listen, not to be judgmental here, but Davis, that's a prime baseball player name. If your first name is Davis, you're a baseball player, period. I, I mean, I don't I don't make the rules. That's just how it goes. So, I'm going to go with Los Angeles Angels spring training okay. player again. Three in a row. Yeah, Interesting that's my, that's, tactic. That's Derek used to play these mind games with me all the time, so I'm I'm I, I, I'm living my mental head, is don't worry. My mental is shot. All right, next up, we're gonna go with Robert Stevenson. Okay, I actually think this might be a Dune Two actor. What's, um, what's your rationale behind that? Well, I just number one, you 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 got in my head already by saying I was three in a row with Los Angeles Angels spring, spring training players, and I don't know Robert Stevenson. See, the way I like to I I like to close my eyes and think, okay. What would Robert Stevenson look like? <laughs> to me, Robert Stevenson looks like he would be an actor. So I'm going actor on that one. Actor, okay. Yep, on that one. That's my pick there. Because, again, I just, you know, going back to the Davis one, David, if your name is Davis, you're a baseball player. If your name is Robert Stevenson, 
I could see you being an actor. Okay. Going an actor on that. Okay. Because, you know, you got to understand something. I am not very well versed in, in actor names and pop culture and stuff. So I'm just, a lot of these, it's just stab in the dark. All right. Let's see how the rest of this goes. I don't feel I'm good having, about... I'm having a great time right now. I'm not feeling good about the fact that you're <laughs> withholding the answers from me. It's making me very nervous. Okay. Um, next up, we have Richie Martin. So this is number five, right? This is number five. Okay. Richie Martin. Richie Martin. Uh, gosh, I have no idea on this one. I'm going to go with... Uh, I'm going to go with actor on this one. I don't know. I don't... I don't actor. I, my spidey senses were tingling on that one. I didn't feel good about... I didn't feel good about Angel Spring Training player. I'll go with I'll go with actor on that one. Is that your final answer? Final answer. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if it should be, but yeah. All right. Next up, we have Guillermo Zuniga. Oh, that. See, I'm kind of torn on this one because my initial reaction is possibly actor because, and this is going to sound ridiculous. I know it doesn't make any sense, but you know, there's Guillermo del Toro, the Director, movie director. There you go. And I don't know why, but my brain just made that connection for no reason. So I'm just going to go with my gut on this one. I'm going to go with Dune 2 actor on that one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> oh, this is fun. I'm, I'm having a great good. time. I don't know about you. No, I'm, I'm sweating bullets. <laughs> I don't feel good at all. All right. So that was the last two of the medium category. We're going to go into hard. To oh, be honest, geez. to be honest, like the rest of these are just really difficult. Oh, geez. So we're going to start you off with Charles LeBlanc. Oh, that's got to be an actor, hundred percent. Okay, I feel very confident, confident in that answer, actually. Yeah, very give me, confident. Give me Charles. Oh yeah, dude. Listen again. Close your eyes, Charles LeBlanc. I can see it. Actor, easy, easy actor. All right. Good about that one. He thinks he's an actor. <laughs> Next up, Kelvin Caceres. Mm. Hey, this one I'm thinking is probably a spring training player. And why? I, w- I want to know. I want to know what's going through your head right well, now. Well, again, with Kelvin. For no reason that I can really logical reason that I can think of, it just makes me think pitcher. So I'm thinking pitcher on this one. So I'm gonna go with spring training angels player on that one. Okay. All right. We're in the very hard category. Like I said, they're all. They're all so we're hard. on to how many we got left here? We got four more. Four I more. got very yeah. hard, then impossible. Eight through. So we're through eight. We got four more. Yes. Yeah. All right. And again, um, you're withholding the answers till the end here, which I is am. stressful. I am. I don't like that at all. It's stressful. You're gonna you're gonna love you're gonna love my reasoning behind it. <laughs> Uh, next up, we're going to go with Juan Flores. That's a spring training player, I feel like. Confident in that one? Yeah, I feel pretty good. I'll, give you, I'll give you a hint. Let's let's see if this helps. Juan Flores is 18 years old. Yeah. Spring training. Angels play. Okay. I feel like. Yeah, born in 2006. Oh, I hate that. It is. <laughs> yeah, it is weird. That's I was, horrible. I was going through the spring training roster, and I'm seeing like four or five people that are younger than me. And yeah, it's horrible. Ah, it's, it's terrible. Born in 2006, like they they were in COVID when they were what a freshman. I don't know. That's yeah, it's awful. That's weird. All right, no, next it, up, it's, it's awful. I, I feel ancient. <laughs> terrible. Uh, next up, we have Zach Humphreys. Zach Humphreys. See, this kind of goes back to my logic on Davis earlier in the round. If your name is Zach, you're a baseball player. Period. Okay. I don't make the rules. Again, you know, that's just how it goes. So I'm going to go with Angel Spring Training player on that one also. Although I don't feel good about it, but I'll go with that. All right. We're on to the last two. I've okay. labeled this as the impossible category. Oh, boy. Um, This whole thing's been impossible. Yeah. <laughs> it was de- definitely definitely harder than I thought it would be <laughs> looking back. But, you know, we're, ha- we're all here for a good time. <laughs> um, 
This guy has your name, Nick Jones. Mm, Nick Jones. Okay. So the beauty of people named Nick is we can mind meld, so I can just go and find Nick Jones and figure out what he does. There's, to be honest, there might be a Nick Jones on the spring training roster and a Nick Jones in the There could be a cast. Who yeah. knows? I'm going to go with Dune 2 actor on this one. Give me Dune 2, Dune 2 actor on Nick Jones. That's my guess. All right. All right last, one. last one. Last one. Last one. We got Jason Martin. See, the problem with Jason Martin is Jason Martin could be, he could be your accountant. He could be the guy giving you your McDonald's order. I mean, that's such a generic name. It could be anything. I got no read on that one. I'm going to go... I'll go spring training player on that one. I don't know, though. Jason Martin, I, I don't know. Okay. So I'll go spring training player. How do you think you did? Oh, I think I did terrible. I'm guessing I got, like, three right. That's my guess. Okay. Um, the good news is you did better than your guess. Okay, there we go. Um, and if this was our batting average, you'd definitely be in the league. Um, but okay. you did not get 50%. You went 5 ah. of 12. Five and seven, man. Now here, here's here's the, here's the rough yeah. Part. So yeah, let me hear why you wanted to withhold the answers. So the first one was Austin Butler, and Austin Butler from I haven't seen Dune, but he was like the third person that came up on the cast <laughs> list. He Did also it say played, what he was playing. He um he he played Fade Rautha. I don't know what. Okay. Um, but he was I read also, the books. I read I read Dune the book. Okay. And I watched the first Dune, but. So he was definitely there. He also played Elvis in the Elvis movie. So uh, okay. I feel like that one's pretty easy. Yeah. Okay. The other softball no. was Carson Fulmer, and yes, he played. He played. He's actually I knew him before looking at this list. He played for the White Sox, Baltimore, okay, and Cincinnati. Go. So I got that one right. So here's here's the reason why I wanted to hold it. Okay. After Austin Butler, they were all spring training players. Every single one. Really. Every single one. Wow. I loved so you were trying to play the mind games. On I you. was. I was. Wow. So um, yes, you got Davis Daniel. And here, here, the, the thing is, like, I chose these names based off of what would be the most generic, non-giveaway name. Because th- there's just some names, like, I don't know, Adam Caloric, I've, I feel like that could be a baseball name. But everything else here is just just the no, most I'm, no, I mean, random. No, no, you're right. The J- like, Jason Martin, there's, not, there's nothing there. Yeah. But Davis, that's an easy giveaway for me, I think. You're right. Yeah, and he actually he did play for Your the Angels. Your name is Davis. You are a baseball player. Okay. Sorry. A that's, couple of these again, guys, too. My mind just works in dumb ways, honestly. That's just how it goes. <laughs> No, five of twelve though is not 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 yeah. real, especially so you, for this list. You were playing the mind games big time though. Big yeah, time. I was. Wow. So yeah, next up, you said Robert <laughs> Stevenson, said the actor. He actually uh, played for Pittsburgh and Tampa Bay last year. Man, see again, Robert Stevenson. I guess I don't know. I was just thinking like Robert Downey Jr. Robert, <laughs> I don't know, whatever. So that's why I thought actor on that one. It's a good connection. Um, Richie Martin was not a Dune actor. He played for the. Uh, he actually played for Baltimore. He, had a, he has 170 yeah. games under his belt. I thought that one might be a player, but I stuck with my gut, and I was wrong. So. Okay. Idiot. Then Guillermo Zaniga, I was thinking um, Dominican Republic, and that's that's a big, yeah. no, big I, pull. That's another one where I was like, you know, this is probably a baseball player, but uh, I don't know. But you also, I, I always done this thing. Same thing like on a multiple choice test. You ever like circle C a couple times, and you're like, there's no way this next one can be C. So yeah. that was kind yeah. of the route I wanted to take. Although I really thought Austin Butler was a dead giveaway. No, it was um, not a dead giveaway. Next up, Charles LeBlanc. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think I know of a single player. Yes, agree. Like yeah. that, LeBlanc. I think Wade LeBlanc. I, I've heard of him, and he's <laughs> he's just the most random MLB player out there. He hit 263 for the. Mar- I have little fun facts on all these guys. Nice. Um, Next up, Kelvin Caceres. Um, his fun fact is—is is he a pitcher? He is a pitcher. See, I see. I know ball. People you do think know that ball. I don't know ball. I know ball. Look and how that. about this? You have one. I should get bonus points for saying he was a pitcher. 
So okay. I should be, you know. You can say 50%. Yeah, I should be 6 and 6, it said. Um, yeah, he actually has only one more career strikeout than you do. So, wow. Congratulations. Yeah, You're yeah, one nice. off and we player. Hey, man, I could throw 50. Maybe I don't know. That that 60. plays in Sunday league. I don't know. I got I don't have a I don't have a strong arm honestly. So, well yeah. So hey, listen. If you give me the Kelvin Caceres one for pitcher of <laughs> six and six, that's really not that bad. A little bonus uh, point. You know I, I again normally I'm not very good in these games anyway, so that's how it goes. But uh, intern Tyler, appreciate your time as always. Thanks so much, and uh, yeah, appreciate the game here. And yes, oh, but also I'm a little upset at you for playing the mind games and making all baseball players. So I guess we'll we'll, we'll work on that. We'll call but it even. You might come back on here for another game in the future, but. Thanks so much once again. Thank you. That was intern Tyler here playing our game here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Nick Springer. We are going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty. We're going to shift gears back to some KU basketball and KU football talk with Kevin Flaherty coming up next. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer, and on Tuesdays at this time, we are joined by none other than Kevin Flaherty. Kevin, uh, how you doing? Doing well, Nick. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty well. You know, it's a beautiful day outside. I was just talking with Matt Tate earlier in the show. You know, I was thinking, what if I could build some sort of contraption? I was thinking along the lines of like the, uh, you know, like the Arizona Cardinals where they can roll their turf out into the sun and everything. What if I sure. built something where I could do that with the studio, where on nice days where I still wanted to feel like I was outside, I could just roll the studio outside. So uh, I've, we've got, I listen, I've got the my, my top scientists from the radio station, top engineers working on this project as we speak uh, to develop a patent in order to do that so that I can enjoy the sunshine on days like today. So uh, that's just, what I, just, don't, just don't have the Oklahoma State people work on it who did the Super Bowl surface two years ago. I mean, I hate to... <laughs> Yeah, I'd hate to see you know. Oh man, Nick injured because he kept losing his footing. You know, conducting the radio show. Yeah, I, dude, would, I already listen. I already got a bad deal. I already got Philadelphia Eagles fans in, in you know coming to me say, <laughs> saying, "Oh, hey, no, no, this, this, this ain't gonna work. You know, the surface isn't good enough." So, uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, enough about that. Kevin, KU gets a win on the road, something they haven't done very often this season uh, on Saturday against Oklahoma, and it took a really a, a strong second half from them after they struggled in the first half uh, of that game. Just what was kind of your biggest takeaway from from KU getting their just their second road win in conference play over Oklahoma on Saturday? Yeah, I mean Oklahoma was a little bit shorthanded. I mean they don't get me wrong; it wasn't like they were missing multiple starters. And I have the feeling Kansas doesn't feel super sorry for Oklahoma, you know, based <laughs> on the the absences that the Kansas has had, obviously. But it was it was kind of like one of those one of those times where you, you have a shooter that you know is a really good shooter. They're slumping. The ball's just not going in the basket. And how much it can help that person just to see the ball go through the basket, right? You know, just sort of something to to break that up. And and maybe even if you wanted to compare it to sort of the outside shooting that that Hunter Dickinson has had of lately, you know, he's been a really good shooter the last couple years from the outside. Right now the outside shot isn't really dropping. He, you know, comes out on, on Saturday makes two or three threes, you're going to feel like, okay, you know, maybe he's breaking out of it. Maybe he's going to get that confidence in his stroke back. And and that was really what Kansas needed going on the road. It wasn't necessarily that Kansas was always playing just awfully on the road. You know, there were some, some close losses. There were different, you know, things that factored into each one of them. The loss to UCF was very different 
than the loss to West Virginia, which was very different than the loss to Kansas State. And and it was one of those things where not only did did Kansas need to win a road game, but to play the second half that Kansas did to kind of, I don't want to say quite run away with it, but to win by a fairly comfortable margin where you're not sitting there biting your fingernails at the end or, or something where, you know, you're not going to construe that as though it was just lucky that it happened that way. I think was a, about as positive an outcome as they could have hoped for. Yeah, and I think to, to that point that you made there at the end, right, it, it kind of felt in a lot of ways like almost a, a vintage Bill Self Kansas win where they just kind of put the vice grip on the team in the second half and there wasn't much to cheer for, for the, from the home crowd and, and Kansas got the win, right? I mean, did, it, did you kind of get, feel that way too there in the second half a little bit? Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma scored nine points in the first ten minutes of the second half. And you look at, you know, not just even on the road, but you look at the national championship game, right? Like where where Kansas won against North Carolina. It's a game that you face a, a really big deficit. Kansas locks down defensively. In that game, you know, Kansas was able to get a little bit more scoring and kind of erase the big deficit a little bit quicker. The deficit wasn't quite as big against Oklahoma, but even so, it was very similar in that it started on the defensive end, right? And that's that's where things have to be for this team. And I know that we've talked about this. I think we were still even saying this before KU had played a game this year, you know, when we were talking in the preseason about, hey, how can this Kansas team be special? And I think that where they've shown, when they've looked like a team that, hey, this is potentially one of the best teams in the country. This is potentially a national title winning team. It's come from the defense, right? When you've looked at the way that Kansas really held down Houston, you know, I, I realized they had a tremendous offensive game in that game too, but you know, Houston was, you know, Houston's offense wasn't, uh, didn't really operate in that game. You look at the Yukon game, that may be Kansas's best defensive game over the course of 40 minutes that Kansas has played all year. And you look at different points like that Oklahoma game, you know, that second half, the defense was really, really good. And Oklahoma, you know, kind of took a lead and took a double digit lead in the first half. And they were getting what you would kind of call warm up jumpers, right? Like where there wasn't really a great contest on them. Guys were able to take shots in rhythm without feeling, feeling hurried or, or whatever in the second half that wasn't really the case and so we've seen Kansas be the this really good defensive team and a team that can change its fortunes on the defensive end over periods of time the next step is going to be over the next month or so hey can Kansas turn this into a situation where the Jayhawks are that team over a full 40 minutes and I think whether Kansas answers that question affirmatively or negatively is probably going to tell the difference between a team that could get knocked out in the second round of the NCAA tournament or a team that winds up going to the final four and potentially beyond. Oklahoma shot seven of 12 from three in the first half and then really struggled in the second half from three. And Bill Self talked about how they kind of KU adjusted their defense on the perimeter. What did you kind of see from KU in the second half adjustment wise where they were able to, to slow down Oklahoma's perimeter shooting? Yeah, I mean, there there were a few adjustments there. I, I also think Kansas did a better job of of closing out. You know, I, I think uh, you were watching the broadcast as well, and one of the things that, uh, that they mentioned on the broadcast was Porter Mosier's attention to detail. He has his guy closing out 
on not just on a shooter, but on a shooter's shot hand, right? You know, finding a way to to make a run at a guy where even if he has an opening, it doesn't feel like as much of an opening. You don't feel like you're getting a lot of clean looks. And Kansas just didn't give up as many clean looks. I thought Kansas was able to extend better in the second half. I, I thought the way that they were able to force some turnovers and get some runouts was especially huge. And I know that it wasn't a talking point from the game. It wasn't a talking point from the Kansas State game because of the way they lost it. But if you look over the last four or so games, we're starting to see Dewan Harris come back. And, you know, he was a guy that obviously for a lot of the season, he's really struggled, you know, scoring inside the arc. We've seen him struggle at the rim. You know, he's doing a little bit better job there. But even beyond that, the confidence defensively looks like it's ratcheting up. Dewan Harris has looked more like Dewan Harris over the last four games than, than he probably has for most of the year. And, and I think because Kansas is 2-2 two and two over those games, it's not necessarily something that people nationally are picking it up and saying, oh my gosh, Dewan Harris. But at the same time, if he's playing that level of point guard, you know, as Kansas heads into the postseason, this team becomes a lot harder to beat. This was also Kevin McCuller's first game back from injury. Ends up playing 35 minutes. Efficiency numbers weren't quite there. I didn't, maybe didn't necessarily totally expect that. But uh, what did you see from him? Bill Self mentioned on Hawk Talk last night that this is a knee injury that he could still be dealing with throughout the rest of the season. I guess, what's your reaction to that? And, and what did you see from him in that game against Oklahoma? Yeah, he was he was huge despite the efficiency numbers. And, and you look at. That Texas Tech game in particular, you know, Darian Williams dropping 30 points on on 12 of 12 shooting from the floor. And it was the sort of thing where Williams was just kind of able to to get to where he wanted and then rise up over the top of the guys that, that Kansas had defending him. And, you know, Kansas would have had a tough time winning that game anyway. Texas Tech is, is really good in Lubbock. But at the same time, I think you really see where McCuller factors in defensively from a toughness standpoint, the way he can body guys up, you know, the way he rebounds, he cuts the different things that he can do. Obviously you saw them try to get him going in the second half against Oklahoma, running some post-up looks for him, you know, clearing out the paint and giving him those opportunities to score over smaller, you know, weaker players. And I think, when you look at, at what he's able to bring, he may not be fully healthy for the rest of the year, but he doesn't need to be fully healthy to be effective. And I think we saw when he was out, you know, how much that really hurt Kansas from a defensive standpoint, from a toughness standpoint, you know, offensively, is he going to get back to where he was, you know, from an efficiency standpoint earlier in the year? Potentially not, but I think the the area where he can really help them out is is sort of in those other areas in, in terms of the toughness, the defense, you know, helping make plays in transition and, and things like that. Yeah, it's an interesting conversation to have, right? Because if if it is a situation where he's maybe not going to get close to one hundred percent, really for the rest of the year, and it's just a, okay, well, if you can just play through it, you know, can you do that? But I'm curious to how to, to how they monitor that, right? Because you think about Kansas now; they're going to have a week off here before they play. They will have had a week off before they play Texas coming up on Saturday. But you know, the rest of the year, it's not going to be like that. You're going to play multiple games in, in in weeks, and so I just wonder if there's any sort of discussion about managing that at all uh, internally for Kansas in terms of Kevin's injury. 
Yeah, and the one good thing about it is, is there's not another Saturday to Monday turnaround, right? You know, in terms of, you know, at least in the regular season where you're playing two games, and this is done with with quote unquote big Mondays. You know, you you have the game on Saturday, then you have a Tuesday game, so you get that extra day of rest. Then Saturday, Tuesday, then Saturday again. The the questions are going to be in the postseason, right? Yeah. You know, in, in terms of how much he's able to rest, how they're able to get him, you know, to where he needs to be. I'll find it really interesting, depending on where he's at um, at that point. Is this a situation where you sit him out for the Big Twelve tournament and you say, "Hey, get that extra week because we're going to need you once the NCAA tournament starts." playing two games in three days rather than a game every single day in the Big 12 tournament. And so is that is that a consideration? That's where I think it factors in a little more. You know, if Kansas had that Saturday-Monday turnaround in any of their remaining games, you know, you might say, hey, you know, maybe you play in one of those, one of those two games, whichever one, you know, means more to the – to the team, but I, I think you know potentially you you do some load management stuff around the Big Twelve tournament, and then you head into the NCAA tournament. The one thing that really helps you out, then you know, like we've talked about, Bill Self talks about it a ton. You know, you have more breaks, you have a longer halftime, you have different things that allow you to rest up a little more over the course of a game, and then it's going to be really key how they're able to treat that injury you know, help with recovery and things like that between that that quick turnaround into the second round in the Elite Eight if Kansas winds up getting there and, and ultimately if it winds up happening this way into the national title game. Yeah, and I think to your point, really uh, circling back on the Big 12, Big 12 tournament, that's the most interesting aspect for me, right? Because to your point, I mean, you may have to play multiple games in multiple days, and if that's going to be something that could potentially hinder him going to the NCAA tournament, you're right. Do you, do you say, hey, Let's let's take off the the Big Twelve tournament in that scenario. Speaking of the Big Twelve tournament, there was a, a pretty significant game last night in the Big Twelve that could affect the seating and how things shake out for the Big Twelve tournament with Houston and Iowa State, and those are two teams that were two games ahead of Kansas in the Big Twelve standings heading into that game. And Houston comes out on top. What were your takeaways from that game? And and obviously from Kansas' perspective, still needing to win out probably to have their best shot at at winning the Big Twelve title. But do you think Houston winning that game probably helps? KU in that scenario, and what was kind of your reaction to that game? Yeah, I think so because Kansas doesn't have a shot to pull a game back on Iowa State. You know, it's Kansas needs help with both teams, obviously, but Kansas can pull a game back with with Houston because the two teams play. That's that's one of the hard things about the unbalanced schedule is Iowa State has a significantly easier schedule than, than Kansas does. Iowa State doesn't have to come to Allen Fieldhouse. You know, that game this year was was in Ames, and, and that's it. And so you don't get a chance to to pull a game back. And so Houston winning that game at home, I think Kansas's best hope now is to go ahead and, and win the next, you know, it, it, it sounds easy when you put it and say, oh, yeah, just go ahead and win however many games. But if Kansas can win the next four games and Houston, you know, finds a way to lose one of those four games, all of a sudden you're in a situation where you're a game down of Houston heading into Houston, you know, with the chance to win the big 12 title. And I know Houston has been pretty close to unbeatable at home. Last night was the first time that 
a team has stayed within single digits of Houston this year at home. And it was a game that wasn't really all that close at the end. You know, Houston kept Iowa State at arm's length over the last four or five minutes. It was always right around 10 points. Ultimately, Houston wins by eight. But at the same time, you watch that game at Allen Fieldhouse, and you realize that Houston's going to make adjustments, obviously. But you realize that the way that Houston wants to play is kind of a little bit tailor-made for how Kansas wants to play, right? Houston wants to get out. They want to double-team and scramble and pressure and things like that. Well, Kansas is maybe the nation's best passing team. And even beyond that, you know, Houston's big guys are, are six foot seven apiece. Kansas can get the ball into a 7-2 guy who can see over the top of everybody and still make those passes. And so you saw... Kansas kind of pick apart Houston's offense at Allen Fieldhouse. I'm not saying Kansas is going to shoot like that at Houston, but I do think if any team in the Big 12 is maybe equipped to say, hey, our style of play is really going to trouble Houston potentially where we could win on the road, I think it might be Kansas. And if you add in that extra bit there where, hey, Kansas is going into Houston with a chance to win the Big 12 title, uh, with with a victory there, you know, I, I do think that, you know, that's that's a situation where where you could see Kansas really throwing a scare into Houston and potentially winning down there. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out all of his great analysis on social media on Twitter or X at Kevin at K Flaherty FA. Be sure to go check him out and uh, support his work that he does. As uh, Kevin is, is a great and anal- great analyst, and always love having you on here on the show on RockTalkSports. Kevin, appreciate your time as always, and. Uh, Thanks for hopping on, and, and I hope you have a great rest of your week. All right. Thanks a lot, Nick. That was Kevin Flaherty joining the show here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk here on KLWN. Two hours down, one to go. We're going to get to some KU football news that happened over the last hour. Talk a little bit about that coming up in the 5 o'clock hour, along with some KU basketball heroes and villains and more coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Two hours down, one to go here on the show. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, it's Nick Springer from Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. And despite sitting in a studio all day, my body feels great thanks to Massage Envy. Their total body stretch services can help you stay loose and limber and clear your mind and help your body. Their total body stretch services are completely customizable. All you have to do is sit back, relax, and breathe deep while they help you through the guided stretches. So if you've been dealing with aches and pains, be sure to check out Massage Envy on 6th Street in Lawrence and 119th in Black Bob in Olathe. Five o'clock hour here on Rock Shock Sports Talk. You're listening on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. I'm Nick Springer. And before we get into our KU basketball heroes and villains, some news over the last hour relating to KU football. Talked yesterday with Michael Swain of of, uh, Fog.net about the loss of Scott Fuchs from KU's uh, offensive line staff. He was the offensive line coach for the Jayhawks. And this is really kind of the third big loss for KU in the offseason from their from their coaching staff. They lose Andy Kolnicki to Penn State back in December. Then they lose Jordan Peterson. And Michael Swain of Fog.net yesterday said that he felt that this loss, potentially of Scott Fuchs heading to the NFL to the coach of the Tennessee Titans, maybe was the biggest of all of them, uh, which, was, which was pretty interesting. And also talked about how the fact that, listen, this late in the this late in the offseason, it could be difficult. The pool of candidates could be a lot smaller. 
for KU to try to, you know, replace that, replace that uh, that position heading into spring ball. And uh, Pete Dammel, who's been pretty well connected with with KU football and has, and has done some uh, reporting on KU football, tweeted out earlier in the hour uh, that Kansas is expected to hire Northern Illinois assistant Daryl Ag Agpalsa, I believe Agpalsa is how you say it, as the uh, school's new offensive line coach. He coached the offensive line for Kansas coach Lance Leipold at both UW-Whitewater in 2012 and 2013 and Buffalo from 2014 to 2018 before going to Illinois in 2019. So I can't say this is really surprising that Lance Leipold would look for somebody who he already is familiar with, especially this late in the process, right? It, it would be it would be difficult probably to bring in somebody from the outside, especially this late in spring ball. Uh, but this is the hire, according to uh, Pete Thamel, uh, on Twitter, tweeting that out earlier in the hour, that uh, that's going to be Kansas' new offensive line coach. So, again, like I said, this late in the process, I don't think it should be surprising that KU looked to move quickly, and I also don't think it should be surprising that KU looked for somebody uh, with familiar, familiarity with Lance Leipold and how he wants to operate his program. So uh, that's the target that Kansas has gone for. Something else that uh, Michael Swain had talked about was the fact that, you know, this late in the process with coaches having already signed contracts, Kansas was probably going to have to be looking at paying a buyout to try to get to try to get a coach to leave to join KU. And if you're getting a coach from a group of five, that buyout probably not as expensive for Kansas to pay. And here they go for a coach from Northern Illinois. So I think this makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways for Kansas at this stage. You get somebody familiar with how Lance Leipold wants to operate his program, somebody who's coached the offensive line under Lance Leipold previously, so understands probably what he's looking for. And uh, you're able to get somebody from a group of five school to where contract-wise it probably didn't end up costing Kansas too much to try to go out and, and get a guy like this in terms of a buyout. Uh, so all in all, I think on paper, just initially initial reactions to this, it seems like this could be a, a quality hire. We'll, we'll, might dive more dive more into this coming up on tomorrow's show and talk more about uh, this hire for Kansas. But again, uh, offensive Northern Iowa, Northern Illinois, pardon me, assistant uh, Daryl Agpalsa, the uh, as KU's new offensive line coach, is is reported by Pete Thamel here uh, in the last hour or so. So we may dive dive deeper into that uh, coming up on tomorrow's show. But did want to get that out as uh, that's KU has their new offensive line coach. It would seem once again their coaching staff is filled out as we get close to the start of spring ball. All right, let's get to our KU basketball heroes and villains here from the KU-Oklahoma game. Heroes and villains from this game. We'll start with the heroes, offensive heroes for Kansas. I think there's a couple immediately that jump out, number one being Johnny Furphy. I uh, wanted to point out Furphy, 15 points in the game, but it was really his shooting stroke that I think is, is why he lands on this list of offensive heroes. Three of five from three. Seems like he's rediscovered that stroke a little bit after he went on a, went a bit of a cold spell. He had been one for his previous 13 three-point three point attempts in, over the last three games prior to this game against Oklahoma. So uh, great to see him get that shooting stroke back and hit some threes. That's something Kansas is going to need down the stretch. And coincidentally, in the Athletic earlier today, they put out their um, latest mock draft with Johnny Furphy being number 13 as a lottery pick. I am... I'm a little on the fence right now. I think Furphy probably would be best served to, to remain at Kansas probably for a year. I would think. Uh, but selfishly, I'd like to see Furphy with another year at KU. So uh, it's another one of those situations where if if he does end up playing well down the stretch here and his draft stock continues to rise, I can't really blame a guy if he wants to go you know, pursue his dream of playing in the NBA. So we'll see what shakes out down the stretch here for Furphy. But certainly getting a lot of love 
uh, overall in terms of his NBA draft stock potentially uh, for, for uh, the NBA. So he is the number one on the offensive heroes. Number two being Hunter Dickinson, 20 and 16 for Hunter Dickinson in the game. Uh, 9 of 16 from the floor. Not his most efficient game, but certainly much better than what he had against Texas Tech. He bounced back, and I feel like he still missed some shots where he could maybe achieve a higher ceiling uh, beyond that, beyond what he did in this game against Oklahoma, but that was nice to see. So Hunter Dickinson as another hero. Uh, Kevin McCuller wasn't really efficient enough, I don't think, to get on this hero's list. Dewan Harris in the – I guess Dewan Harris specifically in the paint could be a hero here. He's 4 of 12, but he ends up making some nice plays off a short wolf cut with uh, K.J. Adams and scores a couple times easily at the rim. That's good to see. Talked about it earlier last week about his percentage in the paint being actually under 50% at shots close to the rim, and that's that was almost over 17% lower than anybody else on the team for Kansas at the rim. So he, his struggles were definitely significant shooting in close to the rim. So you could throw him on there as a, as a hero at the rim. Uh, and then I also kind of want to flip, you know, would you consider Jamar McDowell for his contributions late in the uh, first half for that sequence late in the first half for Kansas? You know, going back and watching that, he makes a pass to Hunter Dickinson, who ends up scoring, uh, and also he uh, he got an offensive rebound and and makes a bucket as well to sort of kickstart that stretch. So maybe Jamari McDowell specifically in the last ninety seconds of the game, maybe he gets an offensive hero uh, for for KU down the stretch there for the Jayhawks. Uh, when you look at defensive heroes, defensive heroes for Kansas in this game, certainly you look to the second half and you look at the fact that. Oh, he makes four shots in the second half. I mean, that's that's crazy. Four field goals for the whole second half for Kansas. And really three in the last 19 minutes because they hit a three right out the gate pretty early in, the, in that second half. Uh, so really, I think you can almost give the nod to the whole defense at that point for Kansas. And the adjustments that they made, and Bill Self talked about that post game, the adjustment they made in their coverage of adjusting to screens and how that helped them on three-point defense and closeouts. Oklahoma just made one three in the second half. And uh, shout out to you know Kevin McCuller. He got a shout out from Bill Self about his his play. So highlight him in the second half for his defensive effort and, and intensity, uh, playing with that knee injury. You look at Dewan Harris, uh, who's and uh, Johnny Furphy credited with three steals. KJ Adams had a big steal in the second half as well that led to a big dunk, also, uh, <clears throat> which was a pretty cool play. So yeah, I think you could really look overall to everybody on that defense making plays of the starting lineup in that second half and really shutting down Oklahoma because I think when you when you have a second half defensive performance like that where you where a team only makes four baskets that's really an indication okay this was not just one individual really performance this 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 comes from the whole team right from the whole team making making big plays on defense and uh, a team effort shutting down Oklahoma as a uh, Outscored by 15 points in the second half, and that really helped you win the game going away there in Norman. Uh, other heroes that I wanted to point out here, uh, one hero I did want to shout out to here, the KU fans, man, getting the rock chalk chant going in Norman. That was pretty cool. If you were uh, listening to the game uh, on the Jail Credit Network or listening right here on KLWN or if you were watching the game on ESPN, you could hear it. You could hear the rock chalk chant uh, from, from the KU fans. So uh, other heroes for the game, KU fans traveling down to Norman, getting loud, and then getting that rock chalk chant going. Uh, in Norman, which was pretty cool to see. I think anytime you know you have a situation like that where the opposing fan, your the road fan base is is audible, you can hear them, and uh, yeah, they did a great job. So if if you were down there in Norman, shout out to you for for getting that going and supporting Kansas. And uh, yeah, I wanted to give a hero shout out for the uh, for the KU fans that made the trip down there for for that game. 
Uh, some villains from this game. Javion, McKill- Javion McCollum's got to be on there in this game for for Oklahoma. He was, uh, I believe, two of hit two threes in the first half, one in the second half for Oklahoma, finished with 15 total points. And also, he is an individual villain for me because of those stupid, long, baggy sleeves. Just looks dumb. I hate the long, baggy sleeves. Like, it's just, I hate it in any sport. I hate it in football, basketball. It just really, it just really irks me. I'm not a fan. Like, you need to have, you need to be wearing, you know, some tight sleeves on the, if you're going to go with long sleeves. Well, first of all, I don't really see why you'd ever go with long sleeves in basketball really like that. Like, he was wearing like a full-blown, like, well, almost like a sweater underneath his jersey. It was just, it was just ridiculous. It just looked ridiculous. So I really was not a fan of that, and uh, I was not a fan of him on the floor either because he made three threes against Kansas, scored fifteen points, and was also six of six from the free throw line uh, for for Oklahoma. Something else with Javion McCollum that I wanted to point out is, and the officials never got on him about this, but Javion McCollum, if you really watch how he dribbles and how he handles the ball, you could call him for a carry. Literally every time he dribbles, if you watch him dribble, it's literally a full, it's like a full on carry. It seems like almost every time he dribbles, he never got called for it in the game. But I was thought, I was thinking to myself, man, you know, he's, he could, I think oh, you could almost call that any time, man, but it never did. Uh, but yeah, stupid long sleeves and also stupid for hitting threes. Uh, Jalen Moore's got to go on this list as well. I think he led Oklahoma in scoring with 17 points, what five of 10 from the floor, two of five from three in the game, hit a couple threes early in the game. Uh, for Oklahoma, he gets on the list as well, and uh, for scoring 17 points. But Kansas did a great job shutting him down in the second half. Uh, I believe he had 12 points in the first half, just five in the second half or more, uh, as they really, really turned up the defense on him and shut him down. But he gets on the list here on the uh, on the villains list. Uh, I'm, I'll put the officials on this on the list of villains also uh, for overturning that goaltending call, which I think is just it's a subjective call. Not a fan of that. I thought it was stupid. Uh, I would like to get that rule changed. I'm going to get Brett Yormark on the phone about that one coming up here after the show. Talk to him about uh, getting that return- overturned so that we can have KU winning 69-57 instead of 67-57. That's what I'd like to see. Justice for the goaltend. Uh, so, yeah, I'll put the officials on there as well as uh, villains. And then I, I just throw I'll just throw injuries on there, injury slash tired legs as, as a villain as well for Kansas. You know, Kevin McCuller, again, seems like he may have possibly tweaked it, according to Bill Self, and it's something he's going to be dealing with for the rest of the season. DeWan Harris was limping at times, uh, you know, tired legs. Bill Self said they were tired after the game. So I'll throw that on the list uh, of, of villains as well uh, as, as tired legs. So that's, uh, that's, KU heroes and vi- that's my KU heroes and villains from Kansas getting the win over Oklahoma 67-57. to over the Sooners on Saturday. Kansas will be back in action this upcoming Saturday against Texas. And you'll be able to hear that game, of course, right here on KLWN with the voice of the Jayhawks, Brian Haney and Greg Early on the call of that game coming up on Saturday. Hopefully Kansas can get their legs underneath them by then and maybe start to feel a little bit better and get continue to increase their health as they go into that game uh, coming up on Saturday against Texas. We'll take a time out here when we come back. Have a chance to hear from Hunter Dickinson and Dewan Harris post game against Oklahoma. They sat down with the media. We'll hear from them coming up uh, in our next segment here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening to RCST on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Well, that's it here on the podcast side here on the Best of RCST podcast. Thanks so much for listening in. And of course, if you do want to hear the full show, you can listen every day, three to six, Monday through Friday, for Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You are only 
daily KU-centric sports radio show that you'll find every day from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Be sure to leave us a five-star rating and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Thanks so much for listening to the Best of RCSD Podcasts presented by Massage Envy. You can also find us on KUSports.com as well. Be sure to check out the live show every day from 3 to 6 on KLWN. Thanks for listening.